there is a lot of negativity in this world. And I've honestly gone back and forth about whether or not I should even post this episode, really about whether or not I should even do this podcast, because this is probably going to be my most critical and negative episode that I'll post. And the church and Christians, as it is, already face tons of criticism and tons of attacks. And the last thing I want to do is be just another voice criticizing the church and adding to all of that negativity. My goal is not to tear down the church. But instead, my goal is actually to build up the church, to build up the body of Christ and to build up the kingdom of God, because I belong to all of those things. And I think they're beautiful and need to be sustained and cherished. But I want to build that up. I want to edify it. And yes, I do have some anger and I do have some frustrations, but I'm actively trying the best I can to suppress that as I'm talking and let this show be an objective quest for truth rather than an outlet for Corey to vent his anger and frustrations, because that helps nobody, myself included. But after a lot of prayer and consideration and thought, I realized that the main reason I'm hesitant to post this episode and probably future episodes is because I'm thinking about the people who are probably going to disagree with me. And it's kind of intimidating doing something like this and risking being wrong, like very wrong. And being wrong isn't fun. I try to be as humble as I can, but I still don't want to be wrong. Feeling stupid isn't fun. But even more than that, I don't want to lead people astray. I don't want to let my anger and frustration lead people away from God. That's the absolute last thing I want to do. But as I'm editing this, I'm realizing that as I listen to my words, I agree with them and I think that they really need to be said. And I think the end result of saying these things and acknowledging and confronting these things is that the church will be stronger and more able to equip people and to reach people for the sake of the kingdom of God. So why be negative? Why not just offer hope? Well, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to offer hope, but in order to get there, we first have to confront the darkness and let it be as dark as it truly is. It's going to take some time to sort of unpack what's going on here, but once we emerge, I believe that that light will be brighter than it ever was before. Okay, with that out of the way, here's the awkward introduction. This is the catchy theme song. This is the catchy theme song. Have you ever been working on a puzzle? And it's like one of those big thousand piece puzzles and you've got like little sections of color. You've got it divided by like end pieces and edges and then you find one piece. And when you find that one piece, it's like everything kind of starts fitting together. Like maybe you find the perfect piece with the right amount of patterns and colors on it and suddenly you know exactly what you're looking at. You go back to the reference picture and then you say, okay, I know exactly where this goes. And then you put it in place and then everything starts kind of fitting in. Now, the whole time you had the pieces of the puzzle, you knew you had all the right components of the puzzle that you were working on. You just didn't quite know where they all fit into place. For me, this has kind of been my experience with the church in America, because for a long time, it's like I, I knew there was something wrong. And I think a lot of people know that there's a problem in the church in America, but it's hard to nail down exactly what that is in one brief sentence, because there is a problem. And I think it's important that we understand that. So if we want to understand what's really going on, I think it's important to get down to the foundation. And I would say that the piece of the puzzle that kind of makes everything make sense for me is this. I believe that the problem in the church in America is money. Now, I'm not saying that just because the church has money, it is therefore inherently a bad thing. Some people might say that money is the root of all evil which is a Bible verse that is misquoted. That's not what the Bible says. Paul says that, and he actually says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So it's a lot 
softer than a lot of people say it, or it's not as absolute as many people say. But when you begin to look at the church through this lens, understanding that the problem really is money, a lot of the issues that we see in the church today begin to make sense. But the other foundational issue I would say is that the church is run more like a business than it is a community of believers working together to expand the kingdom of God. And I I think that the reason it's run like a business is because the culture of the church revolves around money. I was actually debating which one of these was the real foundational issue because they're so closely related. So money, I would say, is the foundational issue. And then right after that is sort of the byproduct of having a culture of money, which is you get a business. Money is, I believe, the root problem. But when we apply that problem, I think it's easier if we view the church as a business because that's that was the piece of the puzzle for me understanding that the church has become a business. And when the church becomes a business, that affects everything. That affects liturgy, that affects the culture of the church, the demographics of the church, the ministry of the church, the theology of the church, that affects everything when the church operates like a business because its motives are totally different. I believe that Jesus actually talks about this in the parable of the sower. Now, this is a little bit of a stretch, but stick with me on this one. In the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about a man who's scattering seed around, and that seed is the gospel. And some of the seed takes root, but then it's on rocky soil, so it doesn't grow very much, and then it dies. Some of the seeds grow up, and they're choked out by the thorns. And then some of the seed takes root and then grows into healthy plants. This parable is really cool because we actually have Jesus explain what this parable means. He doesn't do that very often. Usually, we're kind of left to interpret it for ourselves and figure out what he's trying to say. But this parable, he actually unpacks for us. And we actually have in the Bible an explanation of what this parable is about. And growing up, for some reason, I always thought that the thorns meant suffering. Like you hear the gospel, you start to grow, but then suffering comes and you kind of lose faith in God. Oh, I didn't know Christianity was this hard. Or, you know, I thought Jesus was just going to make my life easy. It's really hard. So I'm leaving the faith. But that's not what the thorns are. That's what the rocky soil is. Jesus actually says that, that this, the suffering and persecution comes and then those people fall away because they realize this is, this is really hard. Being a Christian is not easy. So what are the thorns? The thorns are the comforts and the cares of this life. And those thorns choke you out. They, it, it sort of becomes like a fog that, that's put in front of you and you, you kind of forget God. I think that's one of the biggest problems with being a Christian in America is it's so easy to get lost in the comforts and the luxuries of living in American culture. And those comforts and luxuries, they, they don't just make your life nice and pleasant. They actually add stress and anxiety because the more you have, the more you have to lose and you stress about losing it. And you're always trying to keep up with your schedule, keep up with all your finances and all your possessions. And it, it can actually become a source of unhappiness as well. So those are the thorns, the, the comforts and the luxuries of this life choke you out and make you kind of forget about God and forget about your calling and your purpose and sort of places a fog over your life where it's muddling and confusing. But the church should not be a place that is defined by money. The church is not a business. The church should be a community of believers who gather together to encourage each other, to equip each other, and then to do ministry together, to reach out to the world and expand the kingdom of God. And that's kind of what the early church was, but we've strayed very, very far from that. The church is supposed to be the home of the poor and the misfits and the outcasts of society. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are the poor in spirit 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in Luke, in a similar kind of parallel passage, he doesn't say poor in spirit. He just says the poor. And now in our churches, we've come to sort of interpret that passage as spiritual. When Jesus is talking about the poor in spirit, he's talking about those who recognize their sin and see their need for Jesus and then cling to him for salvation. And that could be a homeless man, or that could be the CEO of a huge company. The poor in spirit is a man who sees his need of Jesus, and it has nothing to do with his material possessions. Now, I don't think that's a proper interpretation. At least I don't think that's everything. I do think that's part of it. But when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in Luke, I think he's specifically talking about physical, material poverty. And to demonstrate that point, I would point to James 2. In James chapter 2, James says, if a rich man comes into your assembly wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and then a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and the word he uses for poor is the exact same Greek word that Jesus uses when he talks about the poor in spirit or the poor. And, and so I, and he's describing a man who is physically poor in shabby clothes. So I think there's something deeper going on there outside of just a psychological state, uh, just a mental state of spiritual poverty as that passage is typically taught. I, I think there's more to it than that. And I would say they actually connect in that the poor in society are the ones who most readily see their need for Christ and cling to him for salvation because they have less in this life to cling to. They're not thorny Christians. They're not Christians who have been choked out by the cares and the desires of this world. Instead, they are people who have nothing to lose. And so it's easier for them to give up what they have to follow Christ. Now, to be fair, in James 2, James is speaking to the rich and he calls them brothers. So I'm not saying that Christians are only poor people, but I am saying that poor people have a special place in the kingdom of God because James even says in that passage that the poor are the ones who are heirs in the kingdom of God, which he has promised to those who love him. And Jesus seems to reiterate this over and over in his ministry that his ministry is done to the poor and the outcast in society. And that seems to be an integral part of his message that there's something special about the poor. We also see this in the story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks him, how can I receive eternal life? And Jesus tells him to follow the commandments. He says, okay, I've done all that. And Jesus kind of says, sure. Okay, sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And the man leaves saddened. And the way this passage is typically taught is that Jesus was testing the rich young ruler. And he, he was seeing if he really truly was obeying the commandments because the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. This isn't meant for us as believers. Jesus isn't saying if we follow him, we're to sell all we possess and give to the poor. Rather, this was a specific command given to a specific person at a specific time to sell all he possesses and give to the poor. And really it was Jesus testing him. And yeah, G Jesus was testing him. It was a test. And I'm sure there is a connection there. But when the disciples come to Jesus after this, and they're marveling and saying, well, then who can be saved? Jesus doesn't look at them and say, I was just testing him, guys. I, I was just seeing if he was really obeying all the commandments. I wasn't serious about that. No, he, he, he doubles down on what he said. And he said, it is with difficulty that a rich person will enter the kingdom of heaven. See, there is something special about material poverty when it comes to the kingdom of God. There is a special emphasis on the poor that is given in scripture. And I think the church in America not only misses this, but kind of teaches the opposite, that Jesus exists to bless you and make you comfortable in this life. And I'll, I'll get to that in another episode, because that's, that's the theology that comes out of a business-like church model. But if we pay close attention to scripture, there is something special about the poor. And I think the church in America has missed that because we value money so highly. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, 
the church does have a lot of poor people in America. You know, a lot of us are just working class, blue collar people who are in the pews. And I, I understand what you're saying, but I think it's important that we define what wealth is because I would actually argue that wealth is not this sort of relative term where it's just about the country you live in and how you compare to the national average and the GDP and the per capita and all those statistics. I don't think wealth is just a number. I think wealth really is the ability to exercise control over your life in such a way that you don't really wonder whether or not you're going to eat tomorrow. If you get sick, you know you're going to be taken care of. Wealth really is an ability to exercise a certain level of control over your life such that you don't think about survival. Rather, you think about your comfort. I, I think that's really what wealth is. And based on that definition, I would say most Americans fit in that. Yes, I know there are poor people in America, and I, don't, I, I fully acknowledge that. But I think for the most part, most Americans do fit into that category, myself included. Jesus says it's with great difficulty a rich person will enter the kingdom of heaven, and yet the churches in America are full of rich people all squeezing down the narrow path leading to salvation. And I'm just not convinced on that. I am just not convinced that this is what the church should look like, and this is what Christianity is. And I mean, that's why I'm doing this, because the, the more I think about this, the more concerned I become that we've just kind of missed it in a really foundational way. And I think it really all goes back to this foundational issue that the church has become a church that is driven by money and the church in turn has become a business and that business has catered to the rich and the wealthy and the affluent. And that has come at the expense of the orphan and the widow. And I think that one of the areas we can see this mentality quite clearly is by the way that we engage in short-term missions. And I'm just saying this because I'm very experienced in the mission field. That's what my wife and I do. And so I've seen this a lot and maybe you've seen this too, but I think we can clearly see how we think about the poor when you listen to the stories that people tell when they come back from mission trips. Typically what you hear, and I said this, so I'm actually going to quote what I said. So to be fair, I thought this, I said this. I came back from my first trip in Haiti and with tears in my eyes. I'm talking about how small their houses are. You know, they're as big as our kitchen and they, they're just so poor and they, they, the floor is dirt. And I'm talking about all the physical conditions and then the mind blowing revelation that I brought home. The one thing I learned from my time in this third world country was they have so little and yet they praise God with all they have. They have so much faith. And I say that as if it's like interesting like really that should not be that interesting. That's not fascinating to see a poor person praising God with all they have, because that's what's supposed to happen. That's what Jesus said would happen. That's what happened in the Bible. Like Jesus teaches that those are the ones to whom the kingdom of God belongs. So to see a poor person with extreme faith should not be even interesting or surprising because that's the way it's supposed to be. That's what we should expect. What should surprise us and what should blow our minds is when we see a person who has a lot of wealth, praising God with all they have and giving it all to God because that is difficult. That's what Jesus teaches. It is with difficulty that a rich person will enter the kingdom of heaven because they have so much in this life. There's so much that they're clinging to. Those are the thorns that are wrapping around their legs and their ankles and their arms and it's squeezing and choking them. And yet they persevere. They find a way to break through those thorns and give all they have to God and bear fruit and flourish among all of these thorns. That's an amazing thing to witness. But I'm not really seeing that in America. And there are times where I see that. I, I know people like this, but it's not everyone. 
who's in church who's like this. I think that there are a lot of people in the church in America who all think that they are the exception to this rule, that it is with difficulty a rich person will enter the kingdom of heaven. And all these people seem to think, yeah, that's me. I've made it. Even though I have riches, I'm still one of the exceptions to that rule. I'm the one who's persevered and made it through. And I'm just not convinced that that's the case. And I think that the church being a business is afraid to say that and afraid to tell these people you are on the wide path that leads to destruction. And so these churches take in a lot of money and they're sure to tell the congregation that it is their duty and obligation and responsibility to give them money. And so when that money does come into them, typically what happens is that money doesn't go out to expand the kingdom of God. It goes back into the church because the church believes it itself is the kingdom of God. Its institution is the kingdom of God. Therefore, any money spent on the church is money spent on the kingdom of God. If someone gives to the church, that is tantamount to giving to God. And that's typically what's preached from the pulpit. And so these churches come to believe that they are synonymous with the kingdom of God. Therefore, any finances that are spent on the church are spent on the kingdom of God. Therefore, it is justified. And what happens when a church comes to be defined by money is it turns into a business. And then that business is afraid to address controversial topics, hard topics that could cause some people to leave. And those people are giving money. So the church is afraid to address those issues. And the more that a church comes to be defined by money, the less it is going to be concerned about needs outside of its own gates. Instead, it's going to channel those resources back into itself. And the orphan and the widow and the poor and the outcast are not going to be cared for because the church is too busy spending money on its own landscaping and bills and building projects and image and graphics team and all of these stupid things that the church does not need because the church in America has come to be defined by money in such a way that we think that money is indispensable for the expansion of the kingdom of God. Yet to gather people together for the express purpose of worshiping God and then reaching out to the community and ministering to that community, you don't really need a lot of money. Yet the church in America has taken in tons and tons of money, spent it on massive buildings, massive amounts of property, and then the church takes the religion of the poor and the outcast and then uses it for themselves, for their own comfort and power and luxury and convenience, while the orphan, the widow, the outcast, and the misfits of society are not cared for. Instead, they're neglected. The least of these are not cared for by the churches because the church is too busy caring for itself and its own business. And the church, because it applauds luxury and comfort and convenience and encourages thorny Christians to continue existing in this comfortable world that they're in, fails to address the basic needs of the orphan and the widow. And so people within the country and outside of the country are dying daily of preventable diseases and starvation while the church does absolutely nothing except meet and talk about their budget. And I, I'm so sick of this and I don't want to belong to it anymore. Like the, the church is a body of believers gathered together for the purpose of worshiping God. And you don't need a lot of money to do that. Like, yeah, there are little expenses, but the amount of money that the church spends on the average Sunday morning is ridiculous. And that comes at the expense of the orphan and the widow and the misfit and the outcast, the very people Jesus came to reach, the very people to whom Jesus said the kingdom of God belongs. And when the church neglects the least of these, it ceases to be the church. And when Christians cease to care about the least of these, they don't look anything like Christ. If you'd like to support what I'm doing, just reach out to me and let me know you're listening. That's it. If you'd like to support the work that we're doing in Africa, feel free to visit standingsidebyside.org. If you'd like to make a donation, you can go to the donate tab on that page, or you can just Venmo at standingsidebyside. Thank you so much for listening. Keep the faith.